I appreciate us standing for that song. That song is really not about our posture, but our faith within our hearts. But I've sung that song a zillion times sitting down. It just didn't seem right, you know. So I, I appreciate us all standing for that. If you've got your Bible, turn with us to Romans chapter 16. We'll be there in just a moment. Well, we've come to the last sermon in this building for this year. And what a year it's been. We've talked about rise and build. That's been our theme this year. We've gone through books like Nehemiah where we talked about rebuilding the walls. We've gone through books like Ezra where we talked about rebuilding spiritual lives. We had a VBS with Don Truex in the summer. And we had our summer series. And in the fall we had Edwin Crozier come here and talk to us about discipleship. It's been a good year. We've had lots of things happen in this congregation. For me personally... In all my years of preaching, probably I've never had a year like I've had this year. I've got to preach two times with my son Jordan. That's always amazing for me to do that. Uh, I got to preach the Southside Lectures, and that's, that's just incredible for me. Got to be uh, not with my hero, D. Bowman, but we got to FaceTime him because he was in the hospital. He soon passed away after that. I got to be at Cane Ridge, that old, old church building built in 1791. I got to do a couple of lectures there this summer. So it's been a great year, a lot of interesting things happening. And so when we come to the last sermon of this year, what should we talk about? Lots of things ran through my mind. You know, one of these days it will be my last sermon, period. One of these days will be the last sermon you ever hear. We just don't know when that's going to be. And so what came to my mind as we thought about what all this year has been for us, all these events, all these things, all the things happened to me personally, was people, people of God in our lives. And that's what we want to talk about this evening as we talk about this idea of people along the way. Got your Bible, turn with us to Romans chapter 16. In a moment, I'm going to read the first seven verses with you. Romans 16 is one of these chapters, it's just full of names. Names that's hard to pronounce. Places like Ezra 2, Ezra 10. It's found in the book of Nehemiah. About the first five chapters of 1 Chronicles. Genesis 5. Even the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew and in Luke. Just a whole bunch of names. And sometimes we wonder, why? And sometimes when we come across, that's our next thing we have to read. We just skip right through those names and say, well, there's just not much here. Let's just get on to something important. No doctrine here, no real encouragement here. Let's just move on. But we remember in 2 Timothy where the Bible says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. Not only is all Scripture inspired, all Scripture is profitable. And as we'll see in just a moment, God wants us to have these names here. And from this, we're going to have some lessons for us tonight as we talk about people along the way. Let's begin now, Romans 16 and verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church that's at Shinchira. And you receive her in the Lord in the manner worthy of the saints, that you help her in whatever matters she may have need of, for she herself has been a helper of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church as in their house. Greet Epa 
Epinetus. Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junus, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles. My fellow prisoners and who are out, excuse me, who are my fellow prisoners outstanding among the apostles who were in Christ before me. And on it goes. Lots of names, lots of accolades to these people. One of the first things we need to know and see that <clears throat> Paul wants us to need to know these people. God wants us to know these people. That's why it's in our Bible. It's there for a reason. We also need to appreciate, <clears throat> as we think about this, just these first 16 verses, there's 29 names that are listed there. We notice that these are people that were known to the people in Rome. 19 times Paul will say, greet. You can't greet somebody that you're not in the presence of. You can't greet somebody you don't really know. He's naming these people because these were people that were known to Paul and also to those people there. A third of the names are women. Among these names, we find Greek names, Jewish names, and Latin names. And what we find here with this long list of these names is that these are people who helped Paul be Paul. You remember so well Hebrews 11. We often call that the Hall of Fame. I believe that's God's Hall of Fame. When we look at Romans 16, I believe what we have here is Paul's Hall of Fame. These are people who helped Paul do what Paul could do. Now, if you got your Bible, I want to look at three places in the book of Corinthians. Two in 2 Corinthians and one in 1 Corinthians. But turn with me to begin with in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I think sometimes we, we get this idea in our Bibles that the apostles were superstars. They rode into a town and there's a big banner greeting Paul. Somebody say, come over here, Paul, i got a brand new suit for you. I'm going to take you out to dinner, Paul. Just great, great accolades. When we look at these three places in Corinthians, we get a different concept. And we see how difficult it was for those apostles. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, begin with me in verse 8. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our own body. Then when you go to the sixth chapter of 2 Corinthians, verse 4, verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. Again, so, showing the difficulty that they often had. Now to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, just putting these three passages side by side to notice what life was like for the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we begin with verse 11. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We're poorly clothed. We are roughly treated and are homeless. We toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become a scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. 
it was tough being an apostle. So what helped Paul be Paul was chapters like Romans 16. People that helped him. Very early in his life, when you go to Acts chapter 9, you find when there was Barnabas taking Paul to Jerusalem, the former persecutor, and it was the friendship of Barnabas and the encouragement of Barnabas that built a bridge that allowed Paul to be able to worship with those brethren. Still in Acts chapter 9, word came out that they're going to kill Paul, and some brethren put Paul in a basket and lowered him over the wall to his safety. We read in places where 2 Corinthians, where Titus came to comfort and encourage the apostle Paul. The writer Boyce says, here is an apostle who simply did not want to forget these people. And so when we think about this, what made these people, Romans 16, the way they were, three things stand out. First of all, they had a heart like Jesus. They had a heart like Jesus. Jesus was this way. Other people first, the kingdom first. They, they would put others first. And then what they would do is they wanted other people to do well. And that's why they sacrificed themselves. That's why they went out of their way for these things. That's why they did so much. And you'll notice some of these terms that come to us in Romans 16. You'll see this on your outline. Servant of the church, helper of many, fellow worker in Christ, wrist their necks, beloved, outstanding, choice in the Lord. Now, if you got your little note card, I've got a homework assignment for you. You see that little section I just read? I want you the next day or two to put in there your spiritual hall of fame. I probably wouldn't be here today had it not been for this person here. I probably would not have been staying with this had it not been for this person here. Now, don't put down here my heroes, Hank Aaron. We're not talking about baseball here. We're not talking, you know, I always admired Bill Gates. Well, who doesn't? The guy's got so much money, he dropped a $100 bill, it wouldn't be worth for him to pick it up. But no, we're not talking about, we're talking about spiritually. Spiritually. And if you don't know, before you leave, just stand in front of our picture board and just look at these words and look at those faces. Who here is a servant of the church? Who here is a helper of many? Who here has been a fellow worker in Christ? Who has risked their necks? Maybe for you personally. Maybe they gave you a chance. Maybe they believed in you. Maybe they were patient with your questions. Maybe when you were first starting off and you was kind of stumbling along, they were there to help you. Who do, who do you call beloved in Jesus? Who would you call outstanding? Who would you consider choice? In the Lord. You see, there's Hebrews 11. That's God's hall of fame. And I believe Romans 16 is Paul's hall of fame. And I believe if we're really doing what we should be doing, you and I ought to have our own hall of fame. People in our lives spiritually who've made a difference to us. Now, from this, three things come out of this. First of all, we need to be thankful. And we see that throughout the writings of Paul. We see that in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, how thankful he was for these churches, how thankful he was for these people. One of the reasons in Romans 16 he's naming all these people and telling the church to greet them was he was thankful. I could not do what I did had it not been for Priscilla and Aquila. Mary has worked hard. There were some who were outstanding among us. These are the people that made a difference. And then secondly, 
we need to look at that list and say, I need to do the same. As people are filling out this list, I wonder if my name appears here anywhere. And if it doesn't, why not? Maybe I'm not outstanding. Maybe I'm not working hard. Maybe some things I need to think about. And then from this, we also need to see, we need to teach the next generation. The next generation needs to learn these principles and truths. And they've got to realize that these are things that do not come naturally. These are things you have to learn spiritually and how important that is. We're reminded of a passage in the book of Acts chapter 13 about David. And there the Bible would say about David concerning his time and his generation that he served the purpose of God in his own generation. And, and David did that several ways. He did that by being faithful to God. He was an example, a man after God's own heart. He did that by being ready for opportunities. We've all heard that story about David and Goliath. But imagine David being there and says, oh, I forgot my sling. Mr. Goliath, how about a week from Tuesday? Can we get together a week from Tuesday? No, that didn't work, does it? Sometimes opportunities are right now. And David was ready for opportunities. And the third thing was he prepared those who followed. He wanted to build a house for God. He wanted to build a temple, but God said no. So what David did was he built a son, Solomon. And Solomon would be the one who'd build that temple. And so there's that idea. And as a congregation and as families, that's something we have to see. To be so engaged spiritually, to be helping in the kingdom so much that we're teaching that not only to ourselves, but to the next generation as we do these things. And each generation has to face these things. I ran across this the other day. This is grandma. She's texting her grandson. Can you tell me what I-D-K-L-Y and T-T-L-Y mean? I don't know. Love you. Talk to you later. It's okay. I'll ask your sister. <laughs> now, if you're looking at it and saying, I don't get that. It's a generation thing. That's what it is. It's a generation. Each generation is different. And each generation has to face these things. And so when we think about the generation before us, the generation that we're into now, we have to consider this. I've been reading several books lately about the millennials and the workforce and all these business books about how the millennials today, they're hardworking, but they're different from any other workforce in generations before them. They don't want to have set rules. They don't want set hours. They don't want a dress code. And what some of these popular business books are advertising and promoting is we need to turn the workforce into like a sports bar. TV sets everywhere because they say millennials work better that way. We have to understand. We've got to talk about how we can help the next generation. Now, in the book of Ezekiel, we're going to grab a passage here from the book of Ezekiel. Remember, the book of Ezekiel was written to those who were in Babylonian captivity, they were exiles, refugees. The word exile is used 17 times in the book of Ezekiel. It's a time when they did not have a temple. There was no altar to burn sacrifices to, no incense to light, no blood to pour, no peace offerings, no sin offerings. And when we think about exiles or refugees, we sometimes get the images of people standing on long lines kind of a distant look on their face, kind of lost. And that was the people of God. 
And God sent Ezekiel to these people to be an encouragement and to help them. And in Ezekiel chapter 3 and in verse 15, Ezekiel says, Then I came to them of the captivity at Tel Abib and dwelt by the river Cherbar, and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. I sat where they sat. That's how we get to be a Roman 16 type of people. Now, you may not understand the generation below you. I have a hard time understanding why somebody would go and pay money to have holes in their jeans. I don't get that, you know? I mean, we were going out someplace the other day, and David said, you got a hole in your jeans. I said, oh, I didn't recognize that. Big old change. This generation, they pay special money to have the holes in the right places, you know? I don't understand that. But, you know, there's some things we can understand, and that's what we need to do. We're just coming out of Christmas. Been all kinds of Christmas shows on TV. One of my favorite is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I watch that every year. I'm not too old for that. And one of the things that happens in the movie Rudolph is there's that island of misfit toys. The train with square wheels, a squirt gun filled with jelly, a bird that swims instead of flies, a Charlie in the box, and they're banished to the island of misfit toys because they're unwanted, they're unloved, and nobody wants them. And when you come to the New Testament, we see the island of misfit people. In Luke 17, as Jesus is going through Jericho, heading toward the cross, there's a group of lepers. And the passage says in verse 11 and verse 12 that they were standing at a distance. Why? Because they had leprosy. They were unwanted. They were unfit. A couple pages later in Luke 19, we find Zacchaeus up in a tree. What are you doing up in a tree? It's not just because he's short. He was a chief tax collector, and nobody wanted to be with him. In John 4, there's a Samaritan woman who had been married five times and was now living with someone she wasn't married to. In John 8, there's a woman called in adultery. You see, all through the Bible, we find what we could call misfits, those who don't fit in. Those who are not wanted, those who are unloved, those who are not accepted. But what Jesus did is he let them all know that they were wanted and that he did care about each of them and he loved each and every one of them. And we too can be that island. It could be the divorced, the addicted, the one who did time, the one who had a baby out of wedlock, the one who's a financial mess, the one who struggles with his faith. The one who can't let go and forgive. Misfits. You may feel unloved, unwanted, and not welcomed. But what we learn as we think about this concept is we can sit among them. And that's how we develop a Romans 16 atmosphere. We can sit among them first and foremost because we all have a past, and our past isn't pretty. Maybe you never spent a night in jail. Maybe you've never taken money from a family member to buy heroin. Maybe you've never shoplifted before. Maybe you never got kicked out of school or kicked out of the house or fired from a job. But you have a past, and your past isn't pretty. And that gives us the reason to sit with one another. If you've got your Bible, I'm going to grab two passages. Look with me in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you've got a marker, you might stick it here because we're going to come back to this on the very next point. But Matthew 18, we begin in verse 23. 
So Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 23, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle with them, there was brought to him one who owed 10,000 talents. Now just stop there for a minute. If we were talking about dollar bills, that's a lot of money. I mean, if I owe you $10,000, that's a lot of money. 10000 of anything is a lot of money. You got 10,000 doodads in your doodad cabinet, that's a lot of doodads, isn't it? You got 10,000 bottle caps in your collection, that's a lot of bottle caps. 10,000 of anything is a whole lot. Now, we understand from Matthew chapter 20 when you worked all day long as a common laborer in the first century world, you were paid a dinnerus or a dinneri. From our understanding of things, it took 600 dinneri to equal one talent. This man owed 10,000 talents. That's 10,000 times 600. That comes out to be in 16,000 years of work. Now, Jesus has shown this for a reason. Your sin is not a bad day. Your sin is not as a little slip up. I had a boo-boo here. I wasn't on my A game today. Now, what Jesus is showing is you got a problem. And you can't go to heaven until somebody pays that debt. You got yourself in a hole so deep you can't even see the sunlight. That's what sin is. That's how serious sin is. So let's read on here in Matthew chapter 18. Here's a man who's brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Verse 25, since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. Verse 26, that slave therefore falling down prostrate himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. That's almost laughable. Todd, just give me 16,000 years and I'll pay you off. 16,000 years, I won't be here, Todd won't be here. Kids, grandkids, get going. How long is that going? That, that can't happen. This is an impossible situation. That's what God wants us to see. Now in your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. In a series of verses here, again, we see the gravity of what sin is. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to begin with verse 6. 6 through 10, Romans 5. But while we were still helpless, got that word there? Romans 5, verse 6. While we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for the righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, there's a second word, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, there's a third word, we were reconciled to God. Helpless, sinners, enemies. And so what this passage reminds us of is how lost we were, how hopeless we were, how hard it was to make the right decision, how confused we might have been, how scared we might have been. And so we need to remind ourselves, I can sit where you sit, and you can sit where I sit, now, I may not know your sin, but I know sin. I have a past, and you have a past, and our past isn't pretty. That's why we can sit with each other.
Point number two, as we think about this. We can sit with each other because we all have a Savior who isn't ready to give up on us. Amazing grace we sing, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Back to Matthew 18 now. We left that man begging for some patience. Just give me enough time and I will pay you everything. Matthew chapter 18, verse 26, the slave falling down, prostrate himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Verse 27, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. That's the biblical definition of forgiveness. You owe me nothing. I forgave you. Well, Brother Shouts, he should at least apologize. That means he owes something, doesn't he? He should at least try and make it better. That means he owes something, doesn't he? When you have been released of the debt, you don't owe it anymore. When you pay your car off and you get that title, officially comes to you. You've been paying this thing for so many years. Do you just send him another check? You know, hey, I'm, we've been doing this for a long time, and I'm just going to send you another check because I just want to send you. No, you don't. I don't owe you anything. I've got the title. It's mine. That's what forgiveness is. And so I can sit with you, and you can sit with me, and the reason is we have a Savior who isn't ready to give up on us. Isn't it interesting how many names in our Bible we put tags on? For instance, we can't say Rahab without saying Rahab the harlot. We can't say Thomas without saying doubting Thomas. In Mark, there was a demon-possessed man who was legion because he had so many. And maybe through the years you had a tag on your name. Maybe you were known as the cheat, the gossip, the thief. But now because of Jesus, you are the believer. You are the preacher. You are the Bible class teacher. You are the shepherd. You are the backbone of this congregation. Can I sit where you sit? We have something in common. We have a Savior who simply will not give up on either one of us. Number three, as we think about this, we all have a future, and our future isn't like this. Our future is heaven. Things are going to change. They'll change for all of us when Jesus comes. John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3, Jesus says, My Father's house are many rooms or many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be. Eternity doesn't look like this. Just a year ago, people were up and down looking for toilet paper, of all things. Won't be doing that in the next world. Paying bills, taking medicine, growing older. We won't have to worry about eating. We won't have to worry about sleeping. Can I sit with you? Yes, we have something in common. We're both going to the other side. Not just some of us, not just the best of us, all of us are going to the other side. And it's not going to be like it is here. We've got something in common, don't we? And then the fourth point. Can I sit with you because we have the opportunity to sit with God forever? Let's look at a couple passages in Revelation, if you will. Revelation chapter 3. This is after Jesus talks about the church at Laodicea. What you notice, as he brings out some points that they need to work on, need to repent of, he says in verse 21 of Revelation 3, He who overcomes, I'll grant 
to him to sit down with me on my throne. Think about that. You sitting with Jesus. It's not that Jesus is going to get up now. Now you can sit down. Okay, now, now you got to get up because over here is Jacob. He's got to have a second. We all get to sit with Jesus on his throne. Then in chapter 22, verse 4, it says, We shall see his face. To sit with him in eternity, to sit with him in the Father's praise, to sit with him in righteousness, to sit with him and never, ever have to leave. You see, some of us were not good enough, smart enough. Some of us didn't come from the right family. Misfits, unwanted, not chosen, skipped over, labeled, branded. But what Ezekiel said was, I'm going to sit where you sit. What we learn in Romans 16 is, here is a group of people that helped the apostle. And what a difference they made for him. Now, as we wrap this up, just a few final thoughts here. We need to remind ourselves, first of all, that every generation must be taught. Now, some of us who've been around for a while, sometimes we groan. Jason or myself says, we're going to preach a lesson about the church. Oh, I've heard so many lessons about the church. Oh. We got some folks here who've never heard these lessons. We're going to have a lesson about baptism. Oh, not another. Ba- oh, I've heard 10,000 baptism sermons. We got somebody in the audience that never heard one. You see? And so each generation has to be taught. And we need to be patient and helpful for that. Secondly, each generation must learn. They must learn just as each of us had to learn. And each generation must be given the opportunity. And so as we wrap up this lesson, wrap up this year, let us be mindful of some things. First of all, shame on us if we leave things worse for the next generation. As a church, we need to think about that. We need to make this church strong, going the right direction, and easy to take over for the next generation. Shame on us if we create so many problems that the next generation is hindered and crippled. Shouldn't be that way. And shame on us if we give no thought to handing the baton to the next generation. In your Bibles, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, a wonderful passage about the Lord's Supper. Notice what the apostle says here. In verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. Notice that? I got it. I received it from Jesus. And what did you do with it, Paul? I put it in the box and I locked it in my lockbox and it's still there. No, I received it from Jesus and I delivered it to you. I received it and I gave it. And that's what we all must do. And so that's some things that we need to consider as we think about people among us and how they help us in so many different ways. You know, a lot of you know that I have a very close, fond relationship with Ricky Jenkins. He's preaching where my son Jordan's at. Sometimes I think that Jordan's training Ricky. I don't know. But uh, we're good friends. We talk all the time. Nearly every phone conversation Nearly every email, and that happens several times a week between us, he will say or I will say, I wish I was you. Years ago, he and I were in a lectureship together, and I told this story. I was preaching some little country place one time, and there was a mom, dad, and about five kids on the second row. I always sit on the front row when I preach. 
And all five kids want to come up and sit with me. And they were touching me and pulling things, and it just was not working. I got unnerved. It just, it just wasn't happening. So after it was over, I told Mama, I said, here's what we're going to do. You get to pick which son, and each night one son gets to sit with me. And then we'll just go through that. Monday night's the oldest boy. We're fine. Tuesday night's the second boy. Wednesday night, it was the third boy. And he'd be right next to me at school, but he'd just kind of right next to me. He'd pat my leg, get me the songbook and everything. And we were singing the final words before I was supposed to get up and preach. They pulled on my coat and says, hey, Mr. Roger. And usually when somebody says that, I say, okay, something's not right. Something's unbuttoned. What's, what's going on here? And I leaned over. And that little kid looked at, right at me with the biggest eyes and says, I wish I was you. Dude, I can't preach after that, you know. My own kids have never said that, you know. You know? But that became a little tagline between Ricky and I. I wish I was you. And when I see Romans 16, and I go back and even see Hebrews 11, and I dare say if you make your own spiritual hall of fame, you fill that card out, this is how it's going to work. Someday, when we're in heaven, you're going to see somebody like Shannon or Larry or Jason, and you're going to say, you know what? I wouldn't be here today had it not been for you. Your lessons your encouragement, you got me to be here. And as we're talking that, somebody's going to tap us on the shoulder, and we're going to turn around, and that guy's going to say, you know what, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. And as that guy's telling this to you, somebody's going to tap him on the shoulder and say, you know what, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. Because that's how it works. Romans 16, it's a powerful chapter. Don't worry about the names, but look at what it's about. It's about people just like you that made a difference in Paul's life. Most of the people in Romans 16, the only place you read about them in the Bible is Romans 16. You won't go to the bookstore and find books about these people because no books are, there's nothing to write about. We don't know their story. But for a little sliver of time, Paul was thanking these people and letting other people know if it wasn't for those people, I probably could have done what I did. And I think as we put a bow on this year and wrap this up, that's what we need to think about. We look among each other, and we've had funerals this year. We've had weddings this year. We've had lots of surgeries this year. There's been some happiness. There's been some tears. There's been some baptisms. There's been some folks we've had to withdraw from. It's been a tough year in a lot of ways. Been a, been a year like a lot of years. But what we need to see is as a family of Christ, we need to be a Romans 16 to each other. I wouldn't be here had it not been for you. And so that's our thoughts for this evening. And I hope you give us some thoughts. I hope this evening as you get ready to go to bed, you think about that list. You go back in time and you think about early people when you were maybe a young Christian or even before you became a Christian. And those people who were just teaching you and praying for you, encouraging you, might have been mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, might have been some old preachers on the other side now. But there they were. And here you are. And now it's your turn to be in somebody else's Romans 16 as you do the work of God. This evening, we need to see how important this is. No one goes to heaven by themselves. No one flies solo. We are in the fellowship. We're in the family of Christ. 
That's so important. So if we can help you in any way, if you need to be baptized, this is a great time, great occasion to do that. Jesus wants us to be baptized. The apostles present to all the world. Unless we're baptized, we're not going to make it to heaven. But that's not the end. That's just where it begins. And what we need to see from places like Romans 16 is, well, I'm a woman. I can't preach. A third of those names in Romans 16 were women, women who are doing things for Paul. And so we need to see that whatever your talent Whatever your ability, get busy for the kingdom. Help each other. Get in our lives and make a difference for Jesus. If we can help you, won't you come as we stand, as we sing.